This is episode five of the Making of Dharma Land podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. I'm also the co-producer of the Dharma Land album. And this episode is devoted to the fourth song on the album, Fire of the Soul. It's been regarded by some of the critics so far as one of the centerpieces of the album. And I would agree with that. It's a very complex song, lyrically and conceptually. And originally I had intended John Harris, who worked with Abi in the early mid-60s on a pair of songs titled Monterey and Overcomers of the World to sing this song and Joe Remersa who ultimately sang it and was a longtime collaborator of Abby's at the end of his life and also the engineer on the album was originally supposed to sing the song Grapevine the sixth song on the album and he'd done a few vocal takes on that and it just turned out to be a little bit lightweight for Joe. And considering Joe has, has a lot of history with Abby that comes out in the stories he tells. His voice goes very low and deep and, and intimate. And he tells stories about Abby very intimately. And I wanted that quality, almost like an actor, to be a part of Fire of the Soul. There was an arrangement or a demo that was originally done by the artist known as the Millionaire of Combustible Edison in 2014 or 2015 for Tiki Oasis. And it was more done in sort of the traditional Exotica style, albeit with vocals. And that seemed to carry over to the early versions that Ixtahuele was playing around with during the sessions while they were kind of warming up for the day or whatever. I would hear them kind of noodling around with the melody and the arrangement of Fire of the Soul. And I think the arranger, Henrik Magnuson from Mixtahule, actually kind of transformed it maybe into a samba or a bossa nova at one point. We do have some video footage of that, but he might have just been working out some ideas on the piano. And then on one of the last days of the LA sessions in the summer 2019, he came in and laid down this track and he said, you know, I hope you don't mind that I did something a little bit more epic with it. And when he hit the crashing piano chords and I heard how they repurposed the rhythm from the song The Old Boat from Eden's Island and combined the two, it was mesmerizing. And then Henrik laid down a demo, which I filmed from behind a video camera and was just sort of blubbering by the end of it. It was really powerful. And then Joe came in and sang it and he brought a tear to everyone's eye. It was really beautiful. What happened after that was Joe had made a mix of his vocal with the very basic track, and then Ixtahuele went back to Sweden and they worked on the track. They added the solo female vocalist, Hannah Tolf, that goes throughout the first two sections. It's basically cut into three sections, the sort of normal verse and then the don't wait, which is almost an extended bridge or another song, which then modulates into the final kind of takeoff at the end. And Hannah and sings throughout it and then the, the female trio at the end were added as well. And it was sent back to myself, I think in December or January 2020, about six months after the original sessions. My original intention was to conceive who should be involved in it, sort of the track list, kind of 
have, a, have an idea of what I wanted to say with the entire album and then put it in the hands of a capable artist. What they did was very, very good and the arrangements and performances that they created were excellent. But when I got them back, two things happened. One, I was both inspired to actually create or implement new ideas and the other thing was that there were parts of it that I was disappointed at or felt that could be better. So. In February 2020, armed with the mixes, Joe and I worked on some things for a while, adding new instrumentation, completely opening up the mix. Before that, it had been pretty compressed, like they were trying to use digital technology to create sort of an enclosed 1961 kind of echoey, y sound. And Joe and I decided that we, we didn't want to necessarily be technically retro, but that we would use retro in service of the dramatic arc, the, you know, the artistic intention of the album, but that we wouldn't be beholden to this sense of retro authenticity, if that makes sense. And we mixed the, the, the song a lot at that point. It went through so many different, like, micro changes before it became close to what it, the final track was. It then went back to Sweden to the band. The drum track at the end became much more dynamic. Johan Hjarmelsen went back and re-recorded his drum track and added some more kind of stutter steps to it and some dynamics to the drum part. It was pretty much a straight four fourths before that. And then Subliminal Sounds label owner Stefan Carey suggested that the band add the kind of mariachi trumpet at the end. And that really took it into another stratosphere. I think originally I had asked Joe to try to hit those really high notes, like go from the Leonard Cohen to sort of like the Bruce Springsteen rocker or whatever at the end of the song. And not only did it seem like he was going to break his back trying to hit those notes, but it just, it just wasn't right for the song. But then bringing the trumpet back in replaced Joe having to kind of sing from his from his toes or from his spleen or whatever and so we by the end I think we got everything that we really wanted to get out of it the original song was composed in 1962 probably at the height of Abby's wife's bone cancer and it does seem to capture kind of this dual reality of the soul being something that goes on beyond this mortal coil. And it has that strong Buddhist or especially Tibetan Buddhist concept that we are always sort of in between states, what they call the bardo, and that the fire of the soul is something that goes on and on and that we can follow through these different stages of life, even when the pleasures of the senses or things outside of our ability to control seem to sort of threaten the the light within us, the fire in the soul. I also like the kind of association between David Lynch's saying in Twin Peaks, one way out between two worlds, fire walk with me, which I, I believe is a, a Tibetan Buddhist concept or kind of a recapitulation of things that are included in the Tibetan Book of the Dead which is this, the fire is your inner light or your soul and the one way out between this world and, and the bardo or the one way to achieve enlightenment 
is to not lose sight of your light or your fire. So fire, walk with me, light, walk with me. And I think it's just, there's a similar vibe going on here, but there's also a sadness in the lines like, when you're gone, you're really gone. Don't wait too late. Those lyrics seem to me to be Abi recognizing that these moments that we experience, they are impermanent, but they also have meaning to them. All the meaning and the learning that goes on in terms of the soul happens within a body, it happens within space and time. And so as his wife is sort of slipping away from this life, as she's dying, he seems to be negotiating that pain through these lyrics and it's um, one of the more intense and beautiful and enigmatic songs that Abi ever wrote in my opinion and for some reason he never revisited it after 1962 and so that in that way it seemed very much tethered to what he went through with Anna it seemed unique and special to that moment and not something that he needed to kind of carry on and so having it be embedded into this album, it kind of crystallized everything. It, it draws a lot of the sort of wandering hierophant stuff of the first three songs into it. It's, it's, it's a moment of enlightenment for Abi and purity, but it's also a moment where he's processing sadness. And his journey had a lot of sadness, so you can kind of look back at the three previous songs and bring that heaviness of his wandering into this song and see him processing it in a kind of most beautiful way. I also really like the transcendental aspect of Abi's music and I don't feel that it's about disappearing into this sort of irresponsible dream world where we're very passive or you know we use culture and education to sort of replace the transcendental experience. I think that this song and this album overall is very much an affirmation. And I'm really, although it was a difficult song and, and between the vocal takes and all the different mixes and then the mixes the, and the minor changes between myself and Ixta Huele, you know, it really took a long time. We probably did 60, 70, maybe even 80 mixes of this. Not all of them really big, but it was, it was definitely one of the more perfectionist songs, I would say, on the album. And I'm glad that we put the extra effort into it because it is one of those examples in life where there's a technical side of art, there's a I want to do what I want to do kind of mentality to the artist, but I think there's something to be said for the clash and collision that happens and also you know just the sweat and continuing to work things through. That's really to me where epiphanies happen and I think that was definitely the case with Fire of the Soul. All right, stay tuned for the next episodes. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.